0: Excited to start Romans this morning, and I hope you are all are also excited for that. It's been something that I've been anticipating for a long time. Was to start that, and again, I'll remind you that there are the scripture journals in the back of the church outside there. That if you would like to pick one of those up, I think it would be profitable for you as we go through this study. Not necessarily for the things that I have to say, but the things that the Spirit may bring to your mind that you can jot down and write. Uh, for your future reference as you look back through the journal and we spend our time together. I have no, no idea how much time we'll spend in Romans. I, I'm not setting any deadlines to it. We will go through it as we go through it and leave it at that. Um, but I would invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Romans. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. In the bulletin I have listed that we're only going to be looking at verse 1, and that is correct. But I do want to put at least a portion of the prelude before you uh, of Romans. And so I want to read uh, verse 1 through verse uh, 7 and kind of put that whole introduction uh, uh, in context this morning. So God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His sake among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just now ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And Lord, as we look forward to, with anticipation I trust, a brand new study Lord, from a, a letter that was penned so many years ago to another church much like our own. And though we, we know that Paul, your servant, originally did not write this letter for us, though by the, by the inspiration of your spirit, it has been recorded and handed down to us today. And so, Father, as we look through the letter to the Romans, may we also view it as the letter to Holy Grove. And Father, we would invite Your Spirit to speak to us on how this letter, this ancient, this ancient document, is still very applicable for our life here today in 2022. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I have simply titled this "A Slave of Christ." Slave of Christ. I was reminded this past week as I. Uh, thought about our study here, and I was reminded uh, of a quote that I heard many years ago. And the quote goes like this. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time, all the while knowing that you must do it all over again next Sunday. That could be said of Paul. Paul left everything on the table Paul was not just dogmatic. Paul was a bulldog dogmatic. And many today find it tempting to oversell. They oversell their product. They oversell themselves. They oversell their talent. They oversell their abilities. They oversell their vision of the future. When I was still in my previous life, if you will, in the home building business, I always stressed in our production meetings that we had every Wednesday morning. And I always stressed over and over and over again, you must not oversell and underdeliver. Rather, you must undersell and overdeliver. It's easy. It's easy to get caught up in overselling. Thinking that we can do everything, that we can do all things, and no, we can't. And no, we can't. You know, we need visionaries. We need those who can sit and dream, those who can sit and imagine. And then we also need discerners, those who can discern those ideas, those visions and those dreams and bring the reality of those visions and discern which ones are actually applicable, which ones are actually achievable, and which ones aren't. And we need visionaries. We need discerners, but we also need executors. Those who can take those dreams, those who can take those visions, those who can take what has been discerned as accurate and bring it about to bring it to fruition and make it happen. You know, we can sit around and dream all day long excellent ideas. But unless we have discerners to discern through those ideas, we can really get lost. And unless we have those that are willing or able and gifted to carry those out, none of that will happen. None of that will happen. We need it all. We need every bit of it within the church. You need every bit of it within the business. You need every bit of it in the corporate life. You need to have those three pieces. There needs to be visionaries. There needs to be discerners. And there needs those who can get it done. right? Those who can execute the plan. You know, uh, I was reminded of uh, perhaps 29 verse 18. You may, you may already know the verse uh, just by saying the reference to it. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Now I know you may hear that often as where there is no vision, the people perish. The people perish. That's the thing about languages, right? Sometimes they don't translate from one language to the next so that we understand it totally. Unrestrained is a better word there simply because uh, what it tells us is to let go, to, to let alone, to let loose, to be out of control, to run wild. That's what it means there as unrestrained, where there is no revelation. See, vision the word there is literally revelation. There's an understanding. There is a knowledge. So where there is no understanding, where there is no knowledge, the people are unrestrained. The people are have no direction, right? The people, <clears throat> it's not that they're unrestrained in a way that they just behave badly, but there's no direction that there's given. There's no course that is set. There's no uh, chart that is uh, set forth on where the people are. Are, are, are to go, right? And so, where there is no revelation, the people are indeed unrestrained, where there's no understanding, where there is no knowledge. The second part of Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, But happy is he who keeps the law. Happy is he who keeps the law. To be happy in the law, keeping, to be happy in that, we must have an understanding of the law, right? And so often we think of law keeping as rules and regulations and we have this vent of somebody with a hammer or a, a, a stick holding it over your head that if you don't keep the law, you are gonna be whacked. It's a whack-a-mole type of effect. And then that would not be a correct understanding here. But if we understand the law, if we understand the principles, if we understand the guidelines, if we understand how a parachute works, we may land correctly, (laughs) right? This is the understanding and this is the meaning that we must have here of this particular verse. And so if I may, I'll add a prefix, uh, as I observed uh, through reading of Scripture in the early life of Paul, and I would add this, that Paul would I think, concur with this, he would say that law keeping in and of itself does not make one happy, right? And so I can follow the rules to a T and still not be happy, and yet I followed all the rules. And so as we work our way through the letter to the Romans, we will see Paul live into the title that I have given him, and it's not my own uh, term for him, it's one that I borrow from I don't know who, many use it, and that is that Paul is a bulldog dogmatic. Paul knew the what and Paul knew the why. The what and the why. Paul knew it. And And so we will also see Paul could not do it all himself either. In fact, Paul had never even been to this church in Rome. He had never even been there. And yet this letter that he penned to this church has had an unmeasurable impact on Christianity through the years, on Christ followers throughout the years. And so if you would bear with me a little bit, and and I'll ask your permission, but no matter what your response is, I'm going to do it anyways. But uh, if you would allow me to read a rather longer quote. It's from a theological introduction written by Michael Gorman on the Pauline Letters, and I will quote it in its entirety, and it starts like this, Romans is arguably the most influential letter ever written. It is certainly the most significant letter in the history of Christianity. Romans has spawned conversions, doctrines, disputations, and even a few reformations. And it, and it has done so quite ecumenically and with a kind of domino effect. A text from Romans provoked a conversion of, an August, of Augustine as he picked up a Bible and opened it to the page of Paul's letter, Romans 13, verses 13 to 14. And if you know anything about Augustine's earlier life, then you would understand why those two verses were so impactful to him. And also an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther had his theological furniture rearranged by reading Romans, which caused him to to feel reborn. An Anglican priest called John Wesley felt his heart strangely warmed in a church on Aldersgate uh, Street in Oxford, England, when he read the preface to Romans written by Luther being read. A Swiss theologian named Karl Barth in the early 20th century inaugurated a theological revival by dropping a bombshell on the playground of liberal theologians, as someone said, with a commentary on Romans. And the renewal of interest in in Paul in Romans has sparked endless ecumenical conversations about faith and works, one resulting in significant theological convergence in a joint 1999 Roman-Catholic-Lutheran doctrine on the Declaration of Justification. It was signed also in 2006 by the World Methodist Council. The same Pauline Letters has recently provoked various interpreters to offer strongly political, post-colonial, and, and peace-oriented readings that challenge empires, ancient, and modern. The reader and commentary, and I would add the preacher, ought therefore to approach this document with a mixture of anticipation and trepidation, end quote. I thought there's not a better introduction that I can give to the letter of Romans than that one. And so with that, let's jump right on in, in chapter one, verse one. To undersell and over-deliver is first to have confidence in the knowledge of what you have been called to And why you have been called to it, and second, who called you. Right? It's the what, the why, and we're just adding the who to it. This is how Paul starts his most influential letter Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. What a way to start a letter! What a way to start a letter. And so simply from this one verse, we're going to look at two points that I'm going to draw from this verse. The first is the messenger, and then the second is the message. And so that's where we're going to go this morning to start out our our, our study through Romans, and that is the messenger and then the message. First, the messenger obviously is Paul. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. In Philippians you might want to turn here in Philippians chapter 3 as we look at the messenger Paul. In Philippians chapter 3 starting at verse 4b Paul says this to the church there in Philippi, if anyone has of a mind to put confidence in the flesh. If there's any of y'all that have the confidence to put your abilities In yourself, Paul says, I have much more. He says, circumcised on verse 5, on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness is in, in, in the law, found blameless, found blameless. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying here that listen, if anybody's gonna brag about themselves, if anybody's gonna pat themselves on the back as we try to get into the mind of Paul, Paul says, That's me. I have the right beginning. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I have the right nationality from the nation of Israel. I have from the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. I have the right upbringing. I was brought up as a good Mennonite boy, as a good Hebrew of Hebrews, standard. Oh, yeah, no he got that box checked. I'm a Pharisee. As to passion, oh, I have a lot of passion. I was actually a persecutor of the church. Oh, as to the morality, <laughs> blameless, found blameless. That's how Paul lists himself somewhat in a sarcastic way to the church at Philippi. And yet Paul here, starting out his arguably the most influential letter of scriptures that we have, Paul does not introduce himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul doesn't start with a list of initials after his name. He doesn't start out with a bunch of qualifications. Paul doesn't start out with Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrew, the best that there is, hand chosen and picked by God. Paul starts out very simply with Paulus, Dulas Christos, Jesus. Paul, slave, Christ Jesus, in an exact translation of that. Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. Now, I know very few modern translations translate Doulas as slave, but that's literally what it was simply because of the connotations that has in our current culture. Understandably so, but literally, there, that's the translation of it. Slaves are duty bound only to their masters, only to their owners, or to those whom total allegiance is pledged. Paul had credentials, Paul was somebody, and yet Paul leads with, I am a slave. That's how he leads this letter. You know, I have a few things that I'm very appreciative of my Mennonite upbringing, of the tradition in which I was raised. And one of them is the idea that I was always raised with this servant leadership. We would do well to learn how Paul starts his letter there's so many within the church. There's so many within the pulpit. There's so many who find themselves in a leadership position that do not have this mindset. Oh, it's, it's a cliche, right? It's a chic thing to say. It's the right thing to say that I believe in servant leadership, but it's mostly lip service. It's mostly lip service. And Paul here is going to model and demonstrate for us exactly what that is servant leadership we would do well to just focus in on how paul starts out this letter to the romans i am a slave of christ jesus romans 6:16 he wrote he'll write a little bit later in this letter he says you are slaves to the one you obey 1 corinthians chapter 7 verse 23 you were bought with a price It's a monetary terminology that is being used here. You were bought with the price. Do not become slaves of men. In 2 Peter, Peter says this, by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. And Paul was indeed overcome by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul understood his position. In fact, in Ephesians 3, verse 8 there, he told the church there, he said, but me. I am the very least of all the apostles. And though he was probably, from a human perspective, the most qualified, and yet he says, I am the least of all apostles. And so first, Paul says that in Romans, he starts out with, I'm a slave of Christ. And now second, he says that I am a called apostles. Just just literally, I am called apostle. We had a few more words into it. I am called as an apostle. That, that's fine, but, but Paul is literally making a declaration. I am called apostle. He says, I am called apostle. So first, what is or, or who can be an apostle? Let, let's just stop for just a moment and think about this. An apostle in a general sense is, is just literally a messenger. It's just a messenger. It's one that is sent out. It's somebody who's given a message and has taken that message out. that is an apostle. In Romans chapter 1, verse one here, and throughout the whole New Testament, the way that apostle is used when it refers to the apostles is not referred to as just a general sense of apostle. It is restricted solely and completely to men and solely and completely to these 12. and now 13, and then with Barnabas or then with Nathan. Um, or Matthias, I guess, uh, would be another. And so, what does it mean to be a biblical apostle? Because we hear this church, or we hear this on, we see it on church signs, and we hear some people call themselves an apostle today. Well, what do they, what, what are they saying? And and I might for instance, them back to to Paul's uh, first opening and introduction of himself. Um, but what is meant by that? How does Jesus define it? Well, in John 15:27. Jesus tells his apostles there, he says, that you will also testify with, with me. Why? Because you have been with me in the beginning. And when Judas went out and hung himself and they had to replace Judas <clears throat> in Acts, there the, the rest of the apostles said that, therefore, it is necessary that one of the men who have been accompanied us all this time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us as we were baptized by John the Baptist as we lived with Jesus as we, as we as we did ministry with Jesus we've seen Jesus die, and we've seen him raised again from this core group of men we need to choose another. There are no longer apostles today in the biblical sense of apostles, and so Paul is saying, however though, I am one of those because I have been specifically called. In this way, by the risen Lord Jesus Christ, I Jesus called me an apostle. It is interesting how Paul starts out with "I am a slave" and, and rolls right into "I am an apostle." in In Acts chapter nine, verse four, <clears throat> we see there on the Damascus Road. Right, you're familiar with the story where Jesus says, "Saul, Saul, why are you?" When when, Jesus, when Paul was still called Saul, we may get there, but maybe not. You already know the name change, but. Um, where Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you fighting against the church, right? Why are you fighting against the Christian people? And then he blinded him, if you you can read it in Acts chapter 9. But when Ananias said, Lord, you want this guy to come to my house? I don't want this guy to come to my house. He's got papers (laughs) that are going to take me in, that are going to haul me in. He's got papers that that he has the right to arrest me. And Jesus tells Ananias, he says, no, Ananias, he, referring to Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine. It's a word we're gonna see often throughout Romans, is the word chosen. He's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. The very next verse, Jesus says, and I must show him how he will suffer my name. So I will only introduce it here, but we we'll refer to it back in a few times as we, probably many times as we go through Romans. Paul often references the Old Testament, and in Isaiah 43, thus says Yahweh, your creator, and he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name while there are no longer apostles as in the New Testament, those whom God has called by name are apostles, a small a. We also are messengers. We also have been given a message, and we've also been sent out to take this message. You know, in the line of servant leadership, if you will, or those who are called or those who are qualified, I was... uh, little saying that I've heard often, and you have too, right? That God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called, right? And so when we think ourselves as in a messenger, we must understand that if God has called us to deliver a message, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have been given the charge of a message, that God will also qualify you to fulfill that message. In the book, The Cross and Salvation, The Doctrine of Salvation, there the author writes this, and I quote, God's call is the means by which he makes people who are entirely unqualified into instruments of his will, end quote. I just love that, that quote. Paul said, I am a slave. Paul said, I am a called apostle. And now Paul says, I have been set apart. Set apart is just literally set apart. Paul says, I have been set apart. Paul may very well see himself in the line of the Old Testament prophets, where Isaiah himself who was called. He said that Yahweh called me from the womb, Isaiah says, from the body of my mother, he named me. And when Jeremiah was called, Jeremiah said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, God told Jeremiah, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then Paul says to the church in Galatia, he says, one God who set me apart even from my mother's womb. Paul very much sees himself in this Line of Old Testament prophets as the message continues to go forward. Paul completely understood what he was called to and by whom he was called. Paul understood the message. Paul, as the messenger, understood the message that he was called for and called to deliver. And that is the second part, and that is simply the message. The message. What is the message? was well, quite clear, you know, right? For the gospel of God. Paul was set apart for the, the gospel of God. <clears throat> when we think of, of, of gospel, just as a way of continuing to lay foundation for where we'll be going over the next, however long we're through Romans, Paul was called apart for the gospel of God. Gospel we're very familiar with that term evangelion. I mean all of us know a little bit of Greek, right? We we understand that term evangelion, it's just good news. It's to tell the good news. It's to take out or it's uh, it's to take the message and and we've read and we understand, we have our Bible studies, we have our our study Bibles and we can read what the the authors there write that often the empires or the the those who were introducing a new king, they they delivered this this message in such a way as this, and, and it's also the content of the message, right? So often we just think of, of good news, but it's also the content of that good news. And that, 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 that's where we see Paul here, here going, and that's why he says it's the gospel of God. Yes, he's talking about the gospel message, but he's talking about the content of that message, and he says the content of this message is, is God's, is, is, is from God. So as we think about the gospel, Evangelion, we get our term there, obviously, evangelical. The term evangelical has certainly fallen on hard times today, and some want to distance themselves from that terminology, but, but no, I stand firmly on my self-label as an evangelical. I thought, well, what, 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 the, what, does, what does Google say about evangelical, Right? And so I Googled evangelical, as I know you all do. You probably Google me through the sermon to see if I'm right on things. I know we live in 2022, and it's okay. Um, keeps me on my toes. But, so I Googled it, and I, and I went to the highly trusted resource of Wikipedia, right? I mean, we can all trust Wikipedia, uh, but uh, you know your, your professor will probably uh, disqualify the paper if you cite them, but nonetheless, I'm gonna cite them. So Wikipedia says this. Evangelical, evangelicalism, is a worldwide transdenominational movement within the Protestant Christianity that maintains the belief that the essence of the gospel consists of the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. Must have been a reformed guy, rat. By grace alone, solely through faith in Jesus' atonement. Evangelicals believe in the centrality of conversion or born-again experience and receiving salvation in the authority of the Bible as God's revelation to humanity and in spreading the Christian message. By Wikipedia's definition, I am indeed wholeheartedly embrace myself and label myself as an evangelical. Grace alone, in Christ alone, in faith alone, as revealed in scripture alone for the glory of of God alone. I've added a few there, but grace alone, Faith alone, Christ alone, born again, we understand that someone who names themselves a follower of Jesus, their life is transformed. They are born again in a sense. If we want to use air quotes there, we can, right? Their life, there is a BC and there is an AC. There's a before Christ and an after Christ, whatever terminology you want to put on that. As an evangelical, as followers of Jesus, we acknowledge that. We also acknowledge that it's in the authority of scripture alone. We understand that we have nothing outside of Scripture. And not only do we believe in the authority of Scripture, many want to give that one and say, okay, I concede that, I can accept the authority of Scripture. But where they want to draw a line that sometimes can get missed, unless you're an egghead, um, that can get missed, and they want to nuance it a bit, and they want to say, yeah, yeah, but the sufficiency of Scripture, eh, I don't know about that. No, it's the authority of scripture and it is the sufficiency of scripture. The scriptures do not answer all of our questions. Theodicy. How do you you answer that? How do you answer the suffering and the pain that we deal with today? Scripture doesn't give us those answers. That's all the big one that everybody wants to draw upon when they deconvert or when they leave their faith or when they reject God. There's many others. So as Christian people, we must be careful and acknowledge that the Bible certainly doesn't answer all of our questions, but the Bible is sufficient to lead a faithful life as a follower of Jesus. This is Paul. Paul is an evangelical. This is Paul. Paul is sold out to Christ Jesus. Paul is called as an apostle. He is sent out as a messenger. Paul is set apart to make This good news known. And listen, as Christians, as Christians, we too, if we are indeed a follower of Jesus, we have been called, we have been set out with a message. And this is the message we have. Our message is not one of fear. Our message is not one of getting caught up in politics. Our message is one of the good news of the gospel of God. And that is that God sent his son to redeem broken misfits as you and I and to give us eternal life, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul continues and says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For what? For salvation, to be saved, to be born again to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul there writing to the church at Corinth says that for the word of the cross, it's just code language for the gospel. The word of the cross is the gospel. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are... Substitutionary atonement is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness, the gospel message, the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Listen, as we go through our study to Rome, through Romans. Romans is going to be a challenging study for us. We can get caught up in all the, the theological doctrines of Romans, and we will, right? But if we think that we can fully understand, if we can get there through our own wisdom, then we've missed where the true power of the gospel message is, and that is our leader. That is the one we follow, Jesus Christ, Right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is the ridiculousness of the message. And so I pray and I trust as we just start this study through Romans that you will find it helpful to challenge you intellectually and also challenge you spiritually, but ultimately to draw you closer to your Savior, closer to your God. Lord, I thank you for your servant, your slave Paul. Father, he's a very controversial figure. And yet, Lord, we have much to learn. I pray, Lord, that as we go through this study of Romans that we don't just become a bunch of eggheads. We don't just become people of knowledge. But as Paul himself would acknowledge that if it doesn't alter and adjust the heart, the message is lost. And so I pray, Lord, that only you who can search the hearts and the minds of each and every one of us do so. And by the power of your Spirit, would you shore up, firm up, adjust whatever needs to take place there this morning. pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.